0: Hello, you're listening to the No Fucks Given podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Knight, author of The No Fucks Given Guides, a series of self-help books for people like me who hate being told what to do. Just like the books, the podcast is fun, sweary, and full of tips and techniques for giving fewer better fucks and living your best life. Let's get to it. Okay, guys. First, I have to say that the day I am recording this episode is the day we hit half a million downloads on the podcast, a podcast that is only two months old. Holy shit. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for telling your friends. Thank you so much for following and subscribing and rating and reviewing. I cannot fucking believe it. Today is actually the monthly installment of my You Asked for It audio advice column. This is the third one, and I take listener questions and give my best. No nonsense, no fucks given answers in one uh, tidy little podcast episode. So if you want to send me a question, you can email podcast at nofucksgivenguides.com. And if you've already sent me a question and you don't hear it today, never fear, it may very well come up on a future You Asked For It episode. I try to mix up the topics each week, and it's always possible that yours is still in the rotation. I read them all, so don't be shy. Uh, And on that note, I've got such a backlog of great questions that today I'm going to try to do a lightning round at the beginning so I can get to more questions overall. Are you ready? It's a good episode. Today I am going to cover immature partners, not knowing what you want to do with your life and knowing that you don't want to do something that you are doing and not feeling like you can make the change. I'm going to talk about after the fact guilt from saying a successful no plus changing your mind and your answer. I'm going to talk about setting boundaries specifically with family, partners, and in-laws, toxic or otherwise. I'll also hit up a follow-up listener question about my must-do method from episode 6, which I did not think needed more explanation, but here we are. And as always, I will have a weekly NFG tip at the end of the episode, so listen to the end for that, and I think you're really going to like this one. So that's what's on tap for today. Here we go with question one. My boyfriend and I have been together for almost two years. We moved in after three months of dating. Horrible mistake. Lesson learned. And he literally does not know how to be a man. No help with groceries, cooking, laundry, household needs, etc., His money is his money, and I'm tired of always feeling like I do and give more. I tried talking with him, but he's too immature to see my point of view and argues with me. What should I do? Oh, Jesus. Well, I'm guessing I am not the first one to tell you this, but I certainly hope that I will be the last. You need to break up with this guy. This is bullshit. Uh, If you've tried talking to him about this, and he's still behaving this way, and you've been together for two years, and you've been living together for the majority of that time— Uh, This is not a good situation for you, and you need to get out of it. I think you can do much, much better. And I'm sorry if that's uh, an oversimplified answer to your question, but you asked for it, and I am giving it to you straight. Next question. I'm at that point in my life where I have no idea what I want to do with my future. I'm only 23, two years out of college, and already switched career paths. And now I don't know if I really like the career path I'm on. What advice do you have for someone who has no idea what their real passion in life is and how to cope with accepting the unknown? Well, the good news is it may not feel like it, but on paper, you have plenty of time to figure this shit out. You are 23. How many people can possibly be working in a career based on their life's passion at the age of 23? Seven people? Fifteen people in the world? Please. And if you've tried a career or two and you don't like it, now is the goddamn time to try something else, not after you've put in 10 or 15 years in a job you already don't like. I did that. Don't do that. Don't be me. This is the absolute best time in your life to figure out what you really like and want to do and not dig yourself deeper into a hole you already know you want to get out of. That's just going to get harder and harder to escape over time, both logistically and psychologically. I wish I had made different choices sooner. I realize I've turned into an old person over the course of reading and responding to this question, but 23, you are basically an infant. You are going to work this out. Um, Maybe start by Googling people who found their passion later in life and see where that takes you. My guess is that it's going to be inspirational and comforting. Also, you are so fucking young, you are going to be fine, I promise. Okay, quick fire question number three. I've realized that there are quite a few activities and commitments in my life that I don't give a fuck about. I'm overcommitted and I want out. I get it that I should start saying no from the beginning if I want to set boundaries, but what if I already said yes and now I want to get out of something? Can I change my mind, let the person or the group know, and not be an asshole? In a word, yes. In several words, you are allowed to change your mind. Shit happens. Things come up. Or, come up, in air quotes. Um, I would not recommend reneging on your commitment if it's going to throw someone else into a major bind. You know, don't decide you don't actually want to be someone's maid of honor when she's already walking down the aisle or two weeks before her wedding. But my general rule of thumb is that if it helps you to say no more than it hurts someone else, and that's either before or after the fact if you've already accidentally said yes, then it's probably okay to do so, you know, especially with honesty and politeness, which I talk about on this podcast all the time. You can go back and listen to the Just Say Fuck No episode, I think that was week three, uh, where I explain it in depth. You can say, I realize I committed to doing this already, but I've reconsidered, or things have changed, or something came up, and I can't do it, I hope you understand. Just stop pussyfooting around about it and do it soon, because changing your mind and backing out is acceptable, But doing it at the last minute, especially if you knew you wanted to do it all along, is an asshole maneuver. And just as a side note, since I did write an entire book about how to say no uh, that is full of no tips, one of my favorite ones is alas. Alas is such a great way to phrase your no. And again, it's useful for a before the fact no or an after the bad decision that you made no. Um, Alas something's come up. Alas I've had to change my plans. Alas I'm no longer available. Alas is just such a great word. I think you should start using it more often and let me know how it goes okay the last quick-fire question this is also about saying no and post no guilt I budgeted some fucks and decided to skip a virtual happy hour after work. At first it felt great, but then came the guilt after the fact. Realistically, I know it's not a big deal. It's certainly not mandatory. Not everyone goes, and I know absolutely no one gives a fuck if I go or not. But now, instead of feeling proud of myself for saying no, I'm spending that same time and energy feeling guilty about it. Hell, if I wanted to feel annoyed and shitty for an hour, I might as well have just gone to the happy hour. So my question is, how do I say no without feeling guilty and torturing myself about it? Uh, I don't want to shirk my duties as an advice guru here, but you've answered your own question. Go back and listen to that again. First of all, it sounds to me like you said no just fine. How do I say no? You did it. You said no. You didn't go to the happy hour. So keep doing that. And you also seem to know in your heart that you were totally justified in doing so. I'm just going to keep beating one of my favorite drums which is nobody else cares nearly as much about your life choices as you think they do. Your guilt and the time you're wasting on it is only hurting you. You know this. Again, you answered your own question here. You said you know it's not a big deal. You said it's not mandatory. You said not everyone goes. And you said that you know absolutely no one gives a fuck if you go or not. And if you're still having a hard time feeling guilty about this, flip the script and ask yourself, would you be upset with somebody else if they didn't go to the virtual happy hour after work? No, you obviously wouldn't based on everything you've already said. So if you wouldn't want them to feel guilty about not going, then why should you be letting yourself feel guilty about not going? Again, if you want to go back to episode three of the podcast, Just Say Fuck No, I did go into detail on guilt, but also... There is a flowchart on my website at nofucksgivenguides.com. It's called Do I Really Have To? It's on the Fuck No book page, and it's on the downloads page. And it is a really quick and dirty guide to deciding whether you can, should, or want to do something, and if the answer is no, not doing it and not feeling guilty about it and why. So check out the Do I Really Have To flowchart. At nofucksgivenguides.com. And also, uh, just a reminder to anyone listening that if you like this segment and you want to send me your own question, you can email podcast at nofucksgivenguides.com or fill out the form on the podcast section of my website. You can get more. You asked for it in episodes four and eight of the podcast. It's a monthly feature. Um, I've done topics like how to turn down invitations politely but firmly, how to stop feeling like you should be in a relationship if you don't want to be in one, how to combat perfectionism, and even how to get aggressive huggers to back the fuck off. As for today's episode of You Asked For It, I'm going to move on with a few more thorny questions and a few more uh, nuanced answers now that we're out of our lightning round, And I'm going to start with a question that was submitted in various forms by more than one listener. Here are a couple of the emails I received. One person said, I love in episode three how you encourage us to sit out on things we really don't want to do, but what about with significant others? For example, I dread hanging out with his little kid when she's around. I have anxiety and this kid makes it worse but I feel like I'm supposed to, so I do. And I go to most of his family events even though I would rather drink bleach or just say no every time. Another listener asked more bluntly, how do I say no to events with toxic in-laws who give me constant anxiety when we're around them? And there were several more listener questions like that where those came from. So I wanna start by saying that uh, in Fuck No, I actually have entire chapters devoted to saying no to family including to partners and in-laws and your own children. Uh, But the shorter, podcast-friendly answer is, it's the same way you say no to everyone else. It's the same strategy. It's the same underlying structure. Be honest, be polite, or be a combination of the two that gets your boundaries set and enforced without being unnecessarily mean to anyone involved. You know, There's no reason why you should be any more or less nasty to a stranger than you should be to your partner uh, or any more or less nice to a stranger than you should be to your partner. I think that a lot of people get tripped up over the idea of saying no and setting boundaries in general with their partners and their families because they somehow think that these people occupy a more elevated status in their life. And it's not that they don't in some ways. But if you're really trying to just bore down into the logical underpinnings of saying no and sticking to it and being heard and doing it in a respectful way, it's really the same for everyone. And in fact, at the end of each chapter in my book Fuck No, I created what I call fuck notes, which are like Mad Libs for saying no. And it really just goes to show that there is a template for this kind of thing, and that you can just kind of fill in the blanks that uh, make it a little bit more personalized for the situation that you're dealing with, but that the underlying structure of the no is pretty much the same, whether you're saying it to a stranger, a coworker, a family member, a partner, an in-law, etc. You can download the fuck notes from my site, nofucksgivenguides.com. This is a very, you-can-download-it-from-my-site-heavy episode, but, you know, I'm here to serve, guys. I already did all this work. You might as well benefit from it. And look, I practice what I preach. My husband and I have a standing agreement to never force the other to do anything they don't want to do. And this means that sometimes he goes and does things with people on his own and vice versa. It is a wonderful way of life, and I highly recommend it. So for the listeners that wrote in specifically about feeling obligated to do things, to attend events, or to be around people on behalf of their significant other, you know, whether that's their kids or their parents, um, I'm here to tell you that, you know, your time is your own and you're allowed to decide what you want to do with it. And you may find that if you have an open dialogue with your partner about this kind of thing, then you can come to a compromise that doesn't make it feel like you're always just doing stuff because you think you're supposed to do it. Again, I'm always reminding you to think about it. Uh, if the shoe was on the other foot, would you obligate your partner to do these kinds of things, especially if you knew that they didn't want to, that it gave them anxiety, that it was a waste of their precious time that they really needed to be spending on something that was more important and served them more than, you know, going to yet another family barbecue with folks who maybe rub them the wrong way? Uh, We're all individual people and we're all allowed to prefer doing one thing over another. And if you're in a true partnership with someone and you wouldn't begrudge them the fact that they really didn't want to do something or it really upset them or it gave them anxiety or they just didn't feel like they could work it into their day, you know, would you make them feel guilty about it? Would it upset you? If the answer is no, then one hopes that they would extend the same uh, you know, courteous and respectful understanding to you. And it's quite possible that you've been doing all kinds of things that you thought you had to do, and in fact, you really didn't. I say this all the time. I've been saying it since I wrote the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck. But regardless of the situation or who's going to be there or why you don't want to be there, not every event or invitation or occasion that you are invited to is one you have to attend. It's as simple as that. And in the end, if you are showing up to things purely out of obligation, whether that obligation is to your partner or to their family, and you are resenting the hell out of everyone for it, then you're just hurting yourself and you're probably further damaging those relationships that you have with these folks, with your resentment and your anxiety and lashing out when they provoke you and being on a short tether while you are in their presence. And it all could have been avoided by just begging off politely, so why the fuck are you not doing that? You have the power here. In the end, specific to these listener questions, this conversation starts in your own head, it starts with being honest about what you want and what you need, and it continues with your partner. Talk it out. Set some new rules make some boundaries, maybe make some compromises, frame it in, you know, a what's going to keep you both happy, supported and sane kind of way. And honestly, often the conversation can end with them too. And by that I mean, sometimes this is a no that you don't have to say yourself. Your partner can do it. You know, if there is a family event, for their family that you guys are invited to and you don't want to go, you can't go, you shouldn't go. I mean, it could be because you don't want to be there. It could be because you have some really important work to get done and you have to make a choice. But you don't necessarily even have to be the one to say that no. This might be on them. And this is kind of how I feel about all distribution of responsibilities in a partnership. You know, if you have 20 people on your family list to holiday shop for, Why should you have to do all 20 or why should your partner have to do all 20? You could divvy it up and you could do your family and they could do theirs. It's just a matter of compromising and being flexible and really making sure that you're balancing the actual obligations of your partnership with the perceived obligations of your partnership. Uh, And finally, on this note, if you really can't, for some reason, whatever reason it might be, cut toxic or even just enervating in-laws or any family obligation out of your life, do listen to the end for my NFG tip of the week because this is going to help and it's going to provide you with some necessary backup. Okay, I'm going to move on to another listener question, this one also about a partner. Uh, This person said, I really enjoyed your answer on episode four, why thank you, to the question about having a significant other who cares less for organizing and decluttering than you do. This spurred my question, which is, how do you handle having a significant other who embraces the calm the fuck down mentality naturally if you are a stressed out type A work in progress? I like to plan and stress about things, which is not my significant other's M.O. Well, first I would like to say welcome to the club because this is my marriage. Um, But in terms of dealing with a significant other who is prone to be very chill when you are not, I do know exactly where you're coming from and I'm going to tell you what I always tell myself, which is that I do things my way for me. I plan and organize and strategize and yes, this sometimes leads to stressing out because it actually makes me feel better and more in control. Whereas my husband feels better when he doesn't worry so much about stuff in advance and he just deals with it all in one fell swoop when it's time. And that works for him. So I really like to be sensitive to the fact that the way he behaves doesn't really have any effect on me as long as it's working for him and the way I behave I am doing for me and for my benefit. I hate having to potentially redo shit just because I didn't think it through the first time. So that fuels my careful planning. But he's more willing to risk it. You know, he assumes that he won't fuck it up, which how novel is that? Uh, And he'll take the chance and he'll take his licks if he was wrong. And I have learned over 20 years together that unless his way or my way of approaching our own shit negatively impacts the other one, then, you know, Why is it a problem? Why waste my fuck bucks dealing with it? I don't have to worry about how he handles his life as long as it doesn't affect me negatively. Um, And if you'll recall the very first question I answered today about the gentleman who was not living up to his end of the bargain in a relationship for an extended period of time and was not willing to be talked to about it, that is clearly a case of one partner's behavior and lack of fucks and general bad attitude consistently negatively affecting the other and that sounds like a major issue in terms of providing mutual equal care and support in a relationship and the life of those two people that are you know sharing their lives together but just having different approaches to dealing with your own shit is not a big deal you know be glad that being super chill works for him and you probably benefit from it more than occasionally Um, I certainly know I benefit from my husband's chillness more than occasionally, even if it puzzles me. Um, And remember that being more type A works for you, and it probably benefits him occasionally or more than occasionally. So in the end, I would say that if you're a planner and if you're anything like me, you have a real handle on your to-do list and you can just take Giving a fuck about the way your partner deals with his own life off of your to-do list. Just cross it right out. Stop spending your fuck budget on it. There. Doesn't that feel good? Whew. Okay. I feel like we're getting a lot accomplished today on You Asked For It. I'm going to move on to another listener question. This one says, I am 15 years into a profession I no longer enjoy, but have built a life that requires the income from it, and I have a family that depends on me. I pretty much despise going to work each day even though I make good money, have plenty of time to do other things I enjoy, and really, to help other people. But I want more out of life, and I'm 42 years old and I don't want to wait any longer. Is this one of those fucks I just have to give because it serves me and others in some ways? Or should I not give a fuck and explore alternatives to supporting my family that I don't hate? All right. Well, I've also gotten a few variations on this kind of question, and I'm glad to be able to offer some perspective on it. My answer is going to start in response to the tail end of your question. Why not explore alternatives to a life you don't hate? You know, what have you got to lose by doing a little research? Maybe you're dependent on this income now, but have you given concerted thought to ways that you could change that? It sounds to me more like you're looking for permission to even have those thoughts, um, let alone act on them, and I say permission granted. You said yourself that your current job leaves you with plenty of time to do other things, so why shouldn't some of those other things be doing research and putting pieces into motion to possibly get an even better job and, again, in your words, a life you don't hate? You know, none of this is going to happen overnight, and working your way through these questions and this research may be just as difficult and annoying for a while as your current situation, but no change is going to happen if you don't even explore the idea of change, and because it is unlikely to happen overnight, you are going to have some time to get used to it. And this brings me back to the question from the 23-year-old earlier in this episode who was worried that they didn't know yet what their life's passion was and hadn't really gotten started digging in on the career that they thought they wanted to have for the rest of their life. And it sounds like you have some more restrictions than that person. You have a family, you already have an established career and an established income that is supporting you and your family now. Um, But it's like I always say, small, manageable chunks. You take one little step toward your larger goal, and your goal is to get out of this current job that you hate and seems to be making you miserable and find a different way to make a living and support your family. So it sounds big and unwieldy and risky and worrisome but if you break it down into small manageable chunks like just using some of that extra time that you are lucky to have in your life right now to explore opportunities then that's only helping you it's going to help you get closer to that overarching goal it's going to help you eliminate some things to realize that there are some fucks you do indeed have to give because they serve you in a way that you are not willing or able to give up on Uh, But just like I told the 23-year-old that now is frankly the time for them to be career hopping if something doesn't feel right and that if I were them, I would not wait 15 years. I'm telling you, you've already waited 15 years and you know this is wrong for you. And surely you would like the next 15 or 20 or 30 years of your life to be different. So there's nothing to do but to do it. And I assume that you wrote me this question because you know a little bit about my own backstory, maybe from listening to this podcast or from reading my No Fucks Given guides. But like I said, you know, I wish I had made these decisions sooner. I also was in a career that I thought was going to be my final lifelong resting place. Uh, For 15 years, I was very successful at it. I worked really hard at it, but it was making me so unhappy. And I finally left after 15 years, but it also didn't happen overnight. I spent an entire year, 365 days, planning both financially and emotionally for giving notice and quitting my job at a publishing house in New York. And my goal was to go freelance to work for myself. Now, I did not and do not have children to support, but my husband's income was not going to support both of us. You know, I did have to think about what I was potentially giving up earnings wise and what I could potentially bank on being able to make going freelance. And not only was it intended to make my life better, to make me happier and less stressed out, to work for myself, to not deal with office diplomacy and corporate bureaucracy, which were the things that were dragging me down. But also, you know, I needed to be solvent. I needed to make that money, honey. Um, And that's why I developed a 365-day savings plan, because that was about the fastest that I really felt I could put away a little bit every day to get me to the goal of my cushion that I felt was going to give me basically three months to get my freelance business off the ground. And I go into detail in all of that in my second book, Get Your Shit Together. But the, the drilled-down advice here is, yes, of course, you should be looking into alternatives. You said yourself that you have some time on your hands to do things you enjoy, so how about you put that toward researching a career uh, and a way of life that you might enjoy more, operate on the small manageable chunks, making a small amount of progress toward your bigger goal. It's going to make you feel better on a daily basis. It's going to make you feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And you're probably going to work out some really important answers to some big life questions if you just tackle them a little bit at a time. And hey, I'm five years beyond the point of having made that big life change, and I can tell you that it was the best thing I ever did. And like I said to my 23-year-old listener earlier, I wish I had done it a lot sooner. So, you know, I basically split the difference between the two of you. I did it when I was about 35. Uh, I wish you all the luck in the world in figuring out what you want to do and how you want to do it, and I have full confidence that you can. If there is anything that this pandemic year and change has taught me, it is that life is too fucking short to waste it being unhappy and doing shit you hate if there is even a minuscule chance that you can turn it around and not have to do shit you hate. Um, and it sounds to me like from the tenor of your note that you can, that you are capable of doing this, and like I said, maybe you're just looking for permission, so... Grant-head, my friend. All of that said, however, uh, leads me to another set of listener questions that I'm working on turning into, I think, probably a, an entire future episode of the No Fucks Given podcast, not just a You Asked For It segment. Um, and those questions were about privilege and the role that privilege plays in being able to not give a fuck and to make big or even small life changes. So I am rolling that around in my noggin and I have heard you, the folks that have asked me questions about that, about the limits of being able to not give a fuck and to make change um, for folks who do not enjoy as much privilege as I do or as uh, people who have already written into the podcast and received answers may enjoy so look out for that in the weeks to come and finally on today's you asked for it episode i'm going to answer one more question i'm going to get out of all of the icky emotional personal stuff and back into some nitty-gritty organizational shit which is frankly what i do best and after that a quick recap of everything we talked about today and the nfg tip of the week Here we go, last question. This listener says, I have a question about your must-do lists from episode 6. I like the idea of built-in procrastination, but I also don't want to always be waiting until something is urgent to get it done. How do I stay ahead while employing the must-do list? All right, so first of all, if you are not familiar, uh, the must-do list is what I consider to be my finest organizational tool for dealing with your day-to-day life and also just Your life in general. And basically the idea is there are three types of people in the world. The ones who are so overwhelmed that they don't even know where to begin. The ones who want to knock some things off but also really want to slack. And the ones who just take on more and more and more because they can't say no and they think they can juggle all those balls up and until one of them comes crashing down. And I went through this In episode 5, I believe, of the podcast where I diagnosed you as an Alvin, Simon, or Theodore chipmunk, uh, you can take a quiz, again, on my website to find out which chipmunk you are and which tendencies you have toward overwhelm and what kind of organizational help you need. But in my view, turning your to-do list into a must-do list is the best way for any of these types of people to organize their lives because what it does is you take all of the items on your to-do list and then you reorder them by urgency. What literally must be done today? And this is a great way to prioritize. It's a great way to focus your attention. Uh, You don't have to make hard choices. You don't have to get stuck in that pattern of just doing the easy stuff and letting the harder stuff build up and build up until it's all hard stuff and it's all overdue. You prioritize by urgency. Take the stuff that must be done today, move it to the top of the list, do that and only that, and move the rest of it on your to-do list to tomorrow. And that's the built-in procrastination that this listener was talking about. And I like to offer this to people because people love to procrastinate. Um, And it's a way to explain to you that you don't have to do all 20 things on your list. Probably only three or four of them are actual must-do. And that must-do list was the centerpiece of episode six, Just Fucking Focus, which this listener is responding to. And I admit that when I first saw this question pop up in the You Asked For It inbox, I thought, this sounds like somebody who just wants to fuck around and procrastinate and is blaming me for giving them permission to procrastinate and then feeling like they're always under the gun. I got I got a little huffy when I read this question, I'm not gonna lie, guys. But then I remembered that I'm a Simon and uh, this questioner sounds like they're probably a bit of an Alvin. So not everybody looks at this stuff the same way and not everybody has the Simon tendencies that I have, which are if I wind up with a light day of must-do items, I will start a non-essential task later in the day. If I have the time and energy left over in my fuck budget, because I don't want it to become so urgent that it's a fire I must put out tomorrow. I'm more than happy to start something if I have the time that isn't urgent to make things easier on me tomorrow or for the rest of the week, for that matter. And it's quite possible that since I have been employing the must-do method for decades at this point, that I, you know, have been unselfaware about connections that might need to be drawn for novices. So my advice to this listener and to anyone else who feels like the must-do method is constraining them into only doing urgent things and somehow waiting for things to become urgent before they do them, I would say one thing you can do is expand your notion of the must-do list into not only today, but say this week. So for example... My running to-do list right now on my AnyList app on my iPhone is nine items long. But the only actual must-do for today was recording this episode. And there are lots of reasons why I had to do it today. It was my only must-do. So if it takes me all day, fine. I'll pick up my list tomorrow with the next most urgent task. And I won't beat myself up over it because this was my must-do As long as I get that done, I'm not going to worry too much about it. However, if I finish early with time and energy to spare, there's nothing stopping me from deciding that I want to do. I can start on another thing that is going to lessen my urgent load for tomorrow Um, because I look at my list less these days as a daily must-do and more of a weekly one. So of the nine things on my list, only one of them is must do today, but five of them are must do by Friday. So it's really up to me if I want to do or start them all now or wait until Thursday. And this is a personal choice about whether you wanna slack off for three or four days and then have to do it all on Thursday night and Friday morning. But the must-do list, it's a system that is meant to make your life easier every day, not to make your life exponentially harder uh, the night before 17 things are due. And it might take you a minute to get this system up and running, but eventually you are going to be saving time and energy Day-to-day, you're going to be making fewer false starts, fewer mistakes that require even more time and energy to correct, and you're going to be overall more efficient, buying yourself more breathing room on a day-to-day basis, and therefore more lead time to get things done in general. So you can put part of one task on the must-do list for today and have less of it left to do tomorrow. The must-do list allows for built-in procrastination, and it's my way of helping disorganized people or lazy people feel seen but still get their shit done and also to help the type A people out there relax and realize they don't have to get all the shit done now. Uh, But that doesn't mean you can't get started on non-urgent stuff after you did the rest of it. Did somebody unplug you? Did your fingers stop working? Um, You know, you say you want to get ahead of the game, The must-do method is what will get you to the point that you are ahead, and it is then up to you to use that extra time and energy that you have won back for yourself. So to answer the question, I don't always want to be waiting until something is urgent. Who said you have to wait? I didn't. I mean, no offense, but you asked for it. Okay, with that, let's do a quick recap of everything we talked about today, Um, starting with you know, just getting the fuck out of a relationship that obviously is not working, is not serving you, is with someone who is too immature to act like an adult, and uh, frankly, you deserve better. We've talked about getting out of a job or a career that you hate, uh, that is making you miserable, and the steps that you might take to even start thinking about that, let alone the steps you might take to start doing it. And on the flip side, we talked about not knowing what you want to do and the world being your oyster because you are 23 precious years old and you have so much time that you heard it here first. You are going to be fine, I promise. Um, and we've talked about you know the thorny issues of guilt and obligation and setting boundaries and saying no to family, to partners, to in-laws, and the fact that some of you seem to think that this is worse or harder or different than saying no to anybody else, and the fact that I think it is not, and that all of the same rules apply. So again, if you wanna check out the fuck notes on my website, this might give you a place to start on saying no, not only to your family, but to everybody else. We talked about changing your mind and your response when you said a yes that you regret. It's okay to do that. Just do it honestly, politely, and quickly for the love of God. And we talked about the post no guilt where you have successfully said no and then you're beating yourself up for it totally unnecessarily after the fact and that you need to snap out of it. I have a flowchart that just might help. And last but not least, the NFG tip of the week is performance bonuses. Build in performance bonuses. And this tip is geared toward those people and those occasions where you just can't say no for whatever reason. You have to suck it up and go. And it's not your favorite thing to do, and it's not really what you wanted to do. But if you have done a little bit of advanced planning – to reward yourself after the fact, then at least you will have something to look forward to. For example, if there is a family gathering of some kind that you cannot avoid, schedule something the day after that you are excited about, get a massage, get your hair done, take an afternoon to go to the movies, even better if it's a holiday gathering and you want to request a gift certificate for a massage or to the movies as your holiday gift, then essentially your family is paying you back for the fuck you gave by going to that holiday party with your performance bonus gift built in. And let's just say that whatever this occasion might be, perhaps a large family gathering, you know that your presence is not only required at the gathering itself, but also in a group photo. And group photos are your bugaboo. You hate them, but you don't feel like if there are 20 people in this family that you can be the only one who makes a mad dash to the bathroom During the group photo, you're going to get found out and it's going to be worse for you to try to explain yourself. I recommend as a performance bonus, wearing your absolute kinkiest or most hilarious item of underwear on the day that this group photo is going to be taken so that at least every time you see it as it clogs your Facebook feed, you are going to know that you are wearing your poison partied here thong in the group pic. And that is a performance bonus that keeps on giving. So there you have it, my little fucklings, my NFG tip of the week, build in performance bonuses. Thank you so much for listening to the No Fucks Given podcast. Like I said, 500,000 downloads to date. I am absolutely blown away. If you're not already, you can follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows so that you never miss an episode. They'll just be automatically downloaded to your phone uh, or your device of choice every Tuesday in 2021. If you liked what you heard, please throw me a rating or a review. It really helps for discoverability of the show, and also it makes me feel good. As I've said many times throughout this episode, you can visit nofucksgivenguides.com, to get the show notes, the downloads that I mention on the show, to learn more about my books, my journals, to sign up for my No Fucks Given newsletter, and all of that good stuff. And there's also a brand new binge player right there at the top of the podcast page where you can listen to every episode so far, catch up, and hear all the stuff I do when it's not a monthly You Asked For It audio advice column. So until next week, thanks again for listening. I'm Sarah Knight. No fucks given. Not sorry.